What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I want you to think about your favorite movie. You had that one in your head, one maybe you watched as a kid or a teenager and just loved, maybe laughed out loud with with some of your friends. And now I'm going to ruin that movie for you because on this episode, I'm talking about movies that would be problematic if they were put out today. I want to talk about the plot lines or just overall themes of certain movies that just wouldn't fly by today's standards. And even just when we look back and think like, how did they get away with making this movie? We'll also get into the highest streaming movies this year. Got some recommendations there. And a movie review of the new Bill Murray movie on Apple TV+. Needless to say, I think this episode is going to get interesting. So thanks for hitting play. Thanks for hitting download. Without any further ado, let's get started. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I recently rewatched a couple of my favorite movies, and as I was watching these movies, I thought to myself, well, these didn't age so well. There were some plot lines in this that I was like, how did they get away with doing this back in the day? And I can't even believe that they're kind of re-putting these out now on streaming services, and really nobody has had that big of an issue with them. One in particular, I was just like, I had no idea what was going on with this movie as a kid, and it was all in good fun. But now looking back, I'm like, they could never make that movie again today. So that's what I want to talk about. I'll start with those two movies first, and then I'll get into some other ones that you guys suggested on Twitter and Instagram, where it's just things that at the time maybe seemed normal for what was going on in the world and just our values at that time. And you also have to think in some of these cases, movies have some creative liberty. Movies are a form of art and you can express yourself in different ways to get points across. You can poke fun at things sometimes, you know, it's satirical, but also you have to really think and consider that sometimes maybe the right call wasn't made for a joke or a character or a certain plot line. So 
So I don't think it's so much that we've become so sensitive now Then it's just like, okay, we've actually grown so much since then. We've learned a lot about what you can and can't say or how you can and cannot represent people. So in no way could you depict these characters or these plot lines the same as you could in a movie that would come out now in 2020. With that said, I do think a couple of my favorite movies are now kind of ruined after going back and watching them. And I'll start with Never Been Kissed. Now, Never Been Kissed came out in 1999 and was probably my first favorite romantic comedy. And I think why I didn't really find any kind of problem with it watching it is because I was about eight years old when I saw this movie and everybody in the movie seemed older to me and I just didn't really get what that meant yet. But what actually happens in Never Been Kissed when you go back and watch it now is the main character played by Drew Barrymore is Josie Geller and she's 25 years old working at a newspaper she's like the youngest editor and they assign her this story to go back to high school so she's 25 and goes back and plays a 17 18 year old in high school who is there to kind of infiltrate the popular kids and kind of find out what they do it's kind of a really bizarre plot line and topic for a movie when you think about it the whole kind of premise of it is a little weird but not only that Nobody knows or catches on to the fact that she's 25 years old in the movie and just some kind of creepy things end up happening because what the entire movie is about is her at the very end kissing her much older teacher. Now her older teacher in the movie seems like a really nice guy. She, you know, starts to develop feelings for him. They have this whole exchange at like the school fair. And it starts to get a little creepy when you think about it because he is an older guy. Not only that, but he is her teacher in the movie. And the entire time he is thinking that she is a teenager. Looking back now, if you did that movie today, this would be a news story like teacher hooks up with 18 year old student. It wouldn't be everybody goes to a baseball game and waits for him to show up to kiss him. Another kind of weird plot line in this is she has a younger brother in the movie played by David Arquette and he sees his sister Josie in this movie going back and having fun in high school. So he decides, hey, I'm going to go back to school and get my baseball career back up and running and joins the team. But then he starts dating a 16 year old girl in the movie. There's a whole lot of weirdness here. And the whole big scene happens when they're at the prom and she reveals to everybody that she is in fact 25 years old and also that her brother has been posing the same at the same time. And no one is really all that outraged. They're more just kind of caught off guard that she isn't who she says she was. But I don't think anybody starts throwing out accusations of like, oh, Rob has been lying to be on this baseball team, but he also has a 16 year old girlfriend now. No one brought that up. Other than that, I think the movie still holds up as far as being an entertaining movie. It's just a little weird to think about if you really kind of break down that relationship. But I think that movie is mild in comparison to the 1994 movie Blank Check, which was one of my favorite movies as a kid. And it's a very wacky movie, and I think that's why I liked it so much. If you're not familiar with it, it's the story about a kid named Preston Waters. And Preston Waters pretty much gets ragged on the entire movie for not having a whole lot of money, kind of being a nerdy kid, not having any friends. I could relate to that. And all he wants to do is have his own room and have his own stuff, but his older brothers are jerks. And not only that, but his parents are kind of like giving him a hard time throughout the entire movie. Basically, this kid is being tormented by everybody in his life. 
His dad sends him to a birthday party without any real money, and it's at an amusement park. So basically, everybody's just making this 12-year-old's life a living hell, to say the least. But here's where it gets interesting, and it gets creepier later. He gets a blank check from his grandma, and he's like, what's a blank check? And his dad kind of describes it to him, and he goes about it by writing it in for $10. So he had a chance to give his son a little bit more money for his birthday, and he shortchanges him to 10 bucks. That's fine. So Preston goes to the bank to try to cash it. So there's a whole lot of just kind of plot holes in this movie. To sum it up pretty quickly, he ends up getting run over by a guy who had earlier in the movie found a way to steal a million dollars and then goes to a bank to pressure the banker to launder the money for him. And he's like, I'm going to send a guy the next day to come pick up the clean money. But in that whole exchange, he ends up running over Preston's bike and he offers him, a, he's going to write him a check, but then the police come, and before he can finish writing the check, he just bails, gives Preston the blank check, hence the name of the movie. And then from there, Preston, being the 12-year-old that he is, writes in a million dollars, goes to the bank the next day and tries to cash it. It ends up working because the banker thinks that the convict guy sent a kid in to cash the check and pick up his money. But the creepy part comes in when he met a teller at the bank who is this older, attractive, 30-something-year-old woman. And somehow it turns out that she is working for the CIA and doing some undercover situation there. And being the 12-year-old boy that he is, he develops a crush on her and basically tries to use the money to impress her. But he has the cover story the whole time is that it's working for his boss named Macintosh which he got from the computer that I mentioned earlier. So he's using that as like, oh, my boss wants me to take you out to dinner. He wants to pay for things, give you this gift. It all just starts to get weird that she agrees to go essentially on a date with a 12-year-old kid. They run around in a fountain together, like him holding her hand. There's just a lot of weirdness here with an older woman and a younger kid that she would just, even if it is her job, agree to go out with them, and even so much that she calls it a date. Like, it's a date, is what she tells him. So if that's not weird enough, when all the crap hits the fan, he ends up getting busted by police, the convicts get arrested, but then it's Preston and this older, attractive woman, and she straight up kisses him. Like, it's in the movie. If you go watch it now on Disney+, Plus, that scene is still left in there. And you think maybe it's innocent enough, she kisses him on the cheek, or maybe kisses him on the forehead. No, she straight up kisses him on the lips. It's a pretty disturbing screenshot if you just look at that scene and i don't know what was going through the writers heads when they made that scene and it got approved i i just don't know what the logic is there because the entire movie seems innocent enough the whole idea is pretty perplexed and it's supposed to be a fun kids movie i mean it's a disney movie of all things i just think if you were going to reboot blank check in 2020 there's no way you could even get this movie pitched. It's just astounding. Now, there's another very famous movie that has kind of a similar thing in the movie Big with Tom Hanks. Elizabeth Perkins, who plays Suzanne Lawrence in the movie, ends up being attracted to Tom Hanks' character, Josh, because he looks like the handsome Tom Hanks, but he's actually a kid. But he's actually a kid, even though he looks like an adult. Like, this is still an immoral relationship going on here. But again, in the world of movies, maybe not the oddest thing is what you've kind of learned here. Another major plot line in a classic comedy was Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, the original one. Where plain and simple, the whole final joke of the entire movie just wouldn't fly today because it's pretty transphobic. So the way Ace Ventura cracks the case is he finds out that 
Finkel is Einhorn and Einhorn is Finkel. And then he is disgusted at the fact that he had kissed her and all the other guys who find out at the same time as he reveals it act in a similar way. Now, again, this was the 90s. A lot has changed since then. We've all kind of learned a lot more since then. And I just see in no way that this movie could be made today. I'll stay in the comedy genre for the next one. One of my favorite actors, just kind of celebrities in general, is Johnny Knoxville. I was a big fan of Jackass and all the Jackass movies. And I liked when he kind of stepped aside from that world and did his own comedies. I really think Johnny Knoxville is a great actor. Maybe he doesn't pick all the best movies. And he did a movie in the early 2000s called The Ringer, which is one of his first really big steps into being a lead actor in a movie. And a movie, I went to the movie theater and enjoyed it. Now, looking back on that movie, the whole kind of plot line could be pretty problematic today. Because in the movie, he poses as a mentally disabled person in order to get into the Special Olympics. And he does that so his uncle can place a bet on him, thinking that he could go in and pretty much beat anybody. Now, that sounds kind of bad looking back on it. Like, you can't really do that. But the other thing about this movie is I felt like it did have some heart. Like, you learn some things in the movie and the way his character kind of changes throughout, which he starts out pretty insensitive. But I think after getting to know the people in the movie and the actors and what they actually go through, he has a change and he becomes friends with everybody. So I don't think the movie has a bad nature about it. I think the only thing that's kind of problematic today is that you have actors who are not mentally challenged or mentally disabled playing characters who are. And while I don't think they really come out and are just poking fun or making fun of people, I think that's a fine line to walk. Another movie I saw you guys tweeting me a lot about was Tropic Thunder. Now, the thing about Tropic Thunder is there's a lot of things you could be offended by in this movie. And I agree that you could probably not make this movie today. But I also think that Tropic Thunder was very self-aware of the jokes they were making. And there was also something they were trying to say and all the crazy outlandish things they did in this movie. So obviously the Robert Downey Jr. character is highly offensive, but they were also trying to make a statement of how there's not a whole lot of diversity in Hollywood and how things like that and parts were given to actors representing people who they were not. So without a doubt, you couldn't do that character today. You couldn't do that plot line. But overall, I think when it comes to comedy... Sometimes you have to go to radical extremes to make a statement whether or not you agree it's appropriate or not. And I'm not saying that you can't be offended by that character. You can't be offended by that movie. You could easily watch this and feel that way. I'm not saying that. But I think that's the kind of line you play with a comedy like this. It's going to go over the top. It's going to do something crazy and also kind of sparked a conversation afterwards. And then Robert Downey Jr. is still doing interviews about this movie saying whether or not he regrets playing that character and he doesn't kind of along the same lines of that ideology. I have a few more of these I want to run through and one that I'm kind of interested to see how they're going to do the reboot of it is the new She's All That, which they're flipping it and making it He's All That. So the roles are kind of reversed here. But when you think about the first one, it's a little kind of insensitive and could also be viewed as bullying now. He's essentially making over a girl who they depict as being nerdy and uncool and unattractive. And when you think about it, the whole plot line is kind of cruel. It's basically a modern take on My Fair Lady. And now they're taking She's All That and switching the roles and making the guy the nerdy one. And the girl is the one who makes him over into being prom king. So I guess the issue here is 
if they can depict bullying like that. But also, it's just kind of offensive to the actor supposedly playing the person who is unattractive. Like, just flat out in any kind of movie where you're showing somebody who is seen as not attractive. And the other thing for me, I'm not an attractive person. And they're showing these actors who are actually really attractive and they're just putting them in glasses and not so cool clothes and being like, oh, look, they're nerdy. I'm like, I'll show you nerdy. You think that's nerdy? They're straight up a movie star. What, what do they think of me? That's where I find offense in this whole plot line. Another great comedy classic is Animal House, but there's a whole lot of things here that you think like, yeah, that's actually pretty creepy. Not only creepy, but it's a crime. There's a scene where John Belushi's character is climbing up a ladder and just is spying on girls and basically their underwear and in some cases just not wearing anything. A very creepy scene where it kind of breaks that fourth wall of when he's looking in on the girl and then looks back at the camera, kind of gives it a weird wink and then goes back to watching her. I don't think you could do that scene anymore. And going back and realizing that that was in that movie. Yeah, that that's not good. Even worse than that was in the 80s, the movie Revenge of the Nerds, which is basically the classic tale of David triumphing over Goliath. And one of the ways the quote unquote nerds has a win in the movie is really a disgusting crime when you think about it and probably didn't really realize it at the time when you watched this movie. But they're at a Halloween party and he dresses as the jock. But they're at a Halloween party and the nerd dresses in one of the jock's costumes and then basically hooks up with his girlfriend. Her not knowing that it wasn't her boyfriend, it was actually the nerd. So this is literally a crime. And then she ends up staying with that character after that encounter. So all in all, pretty creepy there. Also in the world of creepy was American Pie. Basically the scene everybody knew that movie for and the reason all pervy teenagers wanted to watch that movie. You could never do today because they straight up put Shannon Elizabeth character on a webcam and stream it for all the high school to see. But not only that, what we know about the internet now is that's going to live forever and people are going to see that for years to come. So they just straight up put her on blast and there would be lawsuits after lawsuits after lawsuits if that actually happened in real life. American Pie 2 and 3 would not have happened because they all would have been in jail. Now, a lot of the movies I've talked about so far have been in the 80s and the 90s, and I think we've come a long way since then. But even more recently, in like the early 2000s, mid-2000s, there were movies like The 40-Year-Old Virgin, even like The Hangover, Wedding Crashers, like that whole kind of genre of comedies. Some of the language they used in those movies and the words they said that were not offensive at the time. And I remember watching these movies, you know, you know they're going to be crude and you know they're going to say things that are a little raunchy and have cursing in them. Going back and watching that they basically just use slurs feels a little bit cringy and i don't think when they made these movies that was an intentional thing they were just saying things that probably everybody was kind of using in their everyday language but we've kind of learned over time that yeah you probably shouldn't use those words to describe people so i would like to say that all these movies were so long ago that we've grown so much since then but even just as recently as like the hangover like straight up in that movie trailer they used a word that you could never say today and it's just awful so again, there's just that fine line of saying things for comedic effect, but also being like, okay, come on, we have to be a little bit better than that. But don't get me wrong, the great thing about comedy too is kind of pushing those lines and pushing those boundaries. Now I'm a Mexican guy and sometimes I don't like the way Mexican people are portrayed in movies, even movies that I love, like Born in East LA with Cheech Marin. 
there's stuff about that that I don't like. So you can never talk down to somebody about being offended. Like if somebody takes something a certain way, you can't really know how that feels or how it affects them. I think in some cases, we just all have to get better at the things we put into movies and know that maybe in 10 years, yeah, that might not be the best decision. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. What I want to talk about now is the list that Variety put out of the most streamed movies of the year, with all of us being at home and movie theaters being shut down for the majority of the year. It's basically led to bigger streaming numbers. Some of these I was kind of surprised by of them reaching so many people and it kind of shows you the power of Netflix, but now a little bit of Disney Plus and I kind of want to rate a little bit of all the different services because I've actually used all of them. I've canceled a couple of them because I didn't think they had enough to offer to me for what I wanted to watch. So they put out this list. There's 30 movies on it and all of them come from Netflix, Disney Plus, HBO Max, Hulu and Amazon. Those are basically all the places where you can go and either pay a subscription to watch these movies or in some cases you still have to pay the 20, 30 bucks to stream them. At number one is Hamilton, the movie, the most streamed movie of all of 2020 and it's on Disney Plus. And I remember when this movie came out that 
I struggle with just the idea of, is it actually a movie? Like, should I review it on the podcast? Because it's a live recording of the actual play with all the original cast. And after watching it, I was fully convinced that, yes, this has everything that really defines a movie just done in a different way. And I think the reason it comes in at number one is because it had a lot of things going for it. It was still towards the early of the year, and it was kind of an event when it came out right around July 4th. It came out on July 3rd, but I think everybody was at a point to where they just wanted to stay home and watch something new. There was nothing really new out up to this point for a while. And also, Hamilton just reaches a really broad audience, so there was a big demand there. And I think Disney Plus also kind of played their cards just right to where... They took away their one-week trial leading up to this, so you basically had to sign up and pay for Disney Plus just to watch Hamilton, and it paid off for them. So if you haven't seen this yet, I do think it deserves the number one slot here. It is a pretty long movie, but surprisingly keeps your attention throughout the entire thing. So that's number one. Disney Plus gets a win there. At number two is a movie I reviewed just a couple weeks ago, Borat 2, the subsequent movie film which Amazon now has their just highest stream movie of all time. And I think why this one has been so successful is the first one was so beloved. And even though it came out so many years ago, what it's actually about just translates so well into today's world. And just that character of Borat has kind of remained a pop culture icon over the years that people were ready for this movie. Now, they don't say exactly how many people watched this movie. Amazon just describes it as quote unquote millions i kind of wish it was like youtube and when you go watch a movie on a streaming service it says actually how many people have watched that movie that would be an interesting feature netflix does have the top 10 but i kind of feel like they control that a little bit like they can put out all their new movies and work them in there like we don't see those actual numbers so i feel like they manipulate that top 10 a little bit I think if anyone was to put their view count on their actual movies, it would be Amazon, but I don't think they'll do that. Running through the top 10 here, at number three, you have My Spy, which is also on Amazon. Number four, Extraction with Netflix, which is one of my favorite action movies of the year. And I think that's kind of where Netflix has shined a lot this year. They put out a pretty good action movie. They know what people want. Blood, guns, violence, and hunky leads. At number five, you have Phineas and Ferb, the movie on Disney Plus and I think family movies just had a really big year this year because families aren't going to the movie theater right now and have found that you can really save a lot of money by even paying that $30 rental at home. You don't have to buy all your kids a ticket. You don't have to pay for all the snacks at the overpriced cost. You can rent the movie at home. Yeah, you don't get that experience of getting out of the house, but in the end comes out a little bit cheaper. At number six, you have Mulan, which I spent the 30 bucks on to rent. Looking back, don't really think it was worth it because since I watched that movie, haven't really thought about it since. At number seven, you have The Old Guard on Netflix, another big action movie for them. Again, you're seeing a theme here. Netflix really brings it with the action. At number eight, you have The Trial of the Chicago 7, also on Netflix. Really great, powerful movie. At number nine, you have The Witches on HBO Max. And at number 10, you have The Lovebirds on Netflix. Now, I kind of just want to go through some highlights here on the list. At number 20, you have An American Pickle on HBO Max, which was with Seth Rogen. I wanted to be more impressed by HBO Max. I had a trial just to watch this movie, and I spent a little bit of time on that streaming service, and there was just nothing that really stood out to me as far as their original content. I think the main appeal in the beginning was them having all the Harry Potter movies, a lot of the DC stuff. 
but a lot of that has since gone away. Even the Harry Potter movies are about to be completely eliminated from any streaming service because they have this whole deal worked out to where you can't even watch them on cable. They have kind of looped them together with the Fantastic Beast movie, so all those rights have been acquired. So basically, there will be nowhere else to watch the Harry Potter movies unless you pay to rent them or buy them. Also at number 26 was a movie called Palm Springs, which I loved with Andy Samberg. And this one was on Hulu, which Hulu only had two movies that made the top 30. I don't think they're quite there yet with their original movies. And for this one to be their second most successful one this year, I think they have a long way to go, but fantastic one here. And number 28, you have Clouds, which is the movie we reviewed here last week. And another kind of highlight here, another movie we reviewed last week, at number 25 is Holiday, which is on Netflix. Now that movie has only been out for a couple weeks and for it to already be in the top 30 just kind of shows you the power of Netflix of putting something there to where it already has all these built-in subscribers. So out of this entire top 30 streaming list, it's pretty clear that Netflix still has a pretty good hold on all the streaming movies. But coming up there, I think Disney Plus is right behind them because Disney just has that big name altogether and that umbrella of now to be able to put their own movies on their own streaming service. That's really the only major network that can actually do that. Amazon Prime is kind of up there too, but I just don't think they really have their kind of style of movie down yet. But if you want to check out this list, I'll put it up in the show notes. You can click on that and check out all these movies. All right, going to get into a movie review now. Talking about On the Rock starring Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. And it's only available to watch on Apple+. Plus. Before we get into this review, which will be spoiler free, here's just a little bit of On the Rock. So Dean's going away a lot, huh? On business trips? Dad. Raise your hand if that sounds fishy. He's not like you. He's a good guy, a great dad. Sure, it's nature. Males are forced to fight, to dominate, and to impregnate all females. Maybe he's just not interested in me anymore. Impossible. A woman is at her most beautiful between the ages of 35 and 39. Great, so I have many months left. So Rashida Jones and Bill Murray is a duo that I didn't know I needed. And I got to say, right at the very beginning of this movie, I kind of instantly loved it and fell in love with them two together. And you don't really get funny Bill Murray like Caddyshack leading man. But what you get in this movie is Bill Murray being his charming self. So he's basically playing himself, but that's something only Bill Murray can do. And I found that really enjoyable just watching Bill Murray be Bill Murray. Now, pairing him with Rashida Jones, I think, is a really great pairing in this movie. And what I liked about it is that it didn't feel like anything over the top, anything super special, but there was just something warm about this movie that I enjoyed from the very beginning. And just to get something like that, Right at the start, I think meant a lot to me going into this and made me want to watch the entire movie. Not only those two together, but you get Marlon Wayans, who you really know for his comedy stuff. But in this one, you kind of get him being a normal person and really kind of showing his acting chops. So what this movie is about is Rashida Jones has kind of found herself in a rut with her marriage with Marlon Wayans. And she starts suspecting that he is cheating on her because he has just started this business where he's doing a lot of traveling. He's hanging around with his coworkers, some who are other attractive females. And she starts to feel just a little bit suspicious about him, you know, being gone all the time or just hiding his phone sometimes. And then he goes on a trip and comes back and she's unpacking his bag. 
and finds a woman's toiletry bag. And after that, she kind of confronts him. And he says, you know, it was another co-worker's. She put it in his bag because it didn't fit in hers at the airport. He'll give it back to her the next day. So he's very kind of cool, calm, and collective when he tells her. You don't really suspect anything, but where it kind of comes into play with Bill Murray coming back is he's kind of been in and out of her life. He's like this real kind of playboy kind of guy and hasn't been super involved or just not there all the time. So he kind of comes back into her life. She tells him what's going on, and he instantly becomes suspicious, like, hey, we need to start tailing this guy. We need to start getting a private investigator on him and see what's going on with him because he believes that he is cheating on her. There was even an instance at the very start of the movie where he gets home from that trip, goes to kiss her, and, you know, they're making out in bed or whatever, and there's, like, a point where he thinks that she feels like he thought she was another woman because he just kind of stops, and she's like, was that weird? And... That's where it kind of goes. So the whole movie starts with her finding out more about her husband and if she's cheating on him. It's her dealing with her trying to write a book and be creative while still being a being a mom and having two kids. So it's a lot of learning kind of how to balance that life and how to balance the initial stages of if you think someone in your relationship is being unfaithful. And not only that, but how to deal with that with your career and with your kids, just kind of feeling like overall you're in a rut. Like, what did you do to make this happen? Or is this actually going on? And it kind of escalates from there. But what I liked about this movie is that it starts out, you think it's going to be about one thing and it ends up being about another thing. Because once Bill Murray's character comes in, you learn a lot more about him and the effect that his life has had on her, kind of how he has he is as a dad and how he kind of treats women and just his whole approach to life to where it's a really great story of a dad and daughter relationship that I haven't really seen done like this in a while. And you have some really great actors here doing a really great job. It's also written and directed by Sofia Coppola, who also worked with Bill Murray in Lost in Translation. So you're getting something really great here. It's also an A24 film, which if you're not familiar with this production studio, it's a very highly rated independent movie studio where to the point if I see it's an A24 film I am most likely just to watch it no matter who's in it because I know they have some pretty high standards when it comes to the plots in their movies and just overall production in it I know if I'm going to watch an A24 film it's going to be a pretty good movie so this movie had a lot going into it I'd say the only thing that's holding anything against it is that it's only on Apple Plus TV And I just happen to have a subscription because when I bought my new iPhone, I got like a year free subscription for some reason. And I used it to watch the morning show TV show and pretty much just this movie and that other Greyhound Tom Hanks movie that came out earlier this year have been the only really good or even decent original movies. The Tom Hanks movie wasn't that great. This one I think is up there, but I don't think it's something that would really move me to getting a straight on Apple Plus subscription just to watch this movie, maybe like a free trial and then deleting it afterwards. Apple really isn't there with the original movies yet. How I kind of talked about in those top 10 streaming lists, you know, they're not really there yet with their original content. They have some pretty like heavy hitters, it seems like with actors, but it's just not anything or enough there to want to have a subscription or keep me there. So I did enjoy this movie. It's a pretty easy watch only about an hour and a half and it's a really nice story it had a great ending and just the overall kind of good message there at the end if it were only in theaters i don't think it would be anything that i would tell you to rush to the theater now to see 
But if you happen to have an Apple subscription or you're thinking about maybe trying it out and getting that seven day or trial or whatever, it's a good maybe date night movie or just something to watch when you need something to clean your palate. Very well done. Overall, I would give it four out of five private investigators. Give it four out of five private investigators. That is my review of On the Rocks. Let's take a look now at movie news. One of the headlines I was most excited about this week was that it was announced that Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson are in talks with the director of Wedding Crashers at a possible sequel. It's kind of looking like it's going to happen at the time of recording this and what I've read so far. And I just want it to be known that a few episodes ago, I put out my idea for a movie on Wedding Crashers 2. It was all kind of based on this year, what happened with weddings during the coronavirus. So I have on record my movie idea for this, and they are in talks of this now. Now, if the new plot of this movie has anything to do with the thoughts I threw out there, I just want to say I don't need any credit. I don't need any money. I just want a cameo in the movie. That's all I'm going to say. It just reminds me of a funny TikTok that I saw of this guy who was showing this book that he made when he was a kid. That was kind of the plot line what ended up being Finding Nemo. And he says that he sent this book to LeVar Burton, who sent him a letter back. And then years later, he discovered that they were making the movie Finding Nemo. I don't know how real that was. Maybe he made up the whole thing. Still kind of funny, though. Like, that would be hilarious if they ended up actually making the Wedding Crashers movie and use my idea. Not that they probably saw my idea and not that it's just some crazy original idea, but it would get me to thinking. The other kind of crazy and interesting thing that I saw is that Johnny Depp is being forced to exit the Fantastic Beast franchise. It was on Friday that he announced that he would no longer be a part of it, saying that Warner Brothers actually asked him to resign from his role. And, it's, and that was all because of the outcome of his recent trial where he lost his libel case against The Sun, which is a British tabloid that published an article back in 2018 claiming that he was a wife beater. And now Johnny Depp is saying that he plans to appeal the ruling, but he has lost his job on the Fantastic Beast franchise. And it's kind of talks now what they're going to do with it, how to kind of take his character out. And even if like Colin Farrell will still be a part of it. So Warner Brothers announced that he is out and his role will be recast before they film the third movie, which they're still saying is going to come out in theaters. It was originally supposed to hit in November 2021. And now they're saying it will premiere in the summer of 2022. That's a long ways away. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening, for telling a friend, for hitting that five-star rating, for leaving a review. That means a lot to me and really helps me out. I like to show my appreciation to you guys listening by finding one of you guys who's been tweeting about the podcast or sends me a DM on Instagram or a comment on my Facebook page and just giving you guys a shout-out. And this week, I'm going over to my Instagram DMs, and my shout-out is to at mollykate 89 who actually had a question about the intro of this podcast and wondered if it's Raymundo from the Bobby Bone Show doing the voice. And I want to confirm, it is Raymundo. <laughs> when I first started this podcast, I hit him up and was like, hey, could you voice this for me? I gave him all the lines to record and he did an excellent job with it. So thanks, Raymundo, for being the voice of Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. Molly also said in her message, great job doing a movie podcast when there aren't really a whole lot of movies going on right now. I 100% enjoy listening and keep it going. Thanks, Molly, and I will keep it going because I will be back here next Monday and every single Monday for that matter. So I'll talk to you guys then on that episode. And until then, later. Bean Dad, The Dress. 
30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.